Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Broadcaster Hour. We've got Kyle Crooks from Gainesville, Florida, and then kind of kicking it back to Birmingham, Alabama for the other two of us on this show. I'm Roger Hoover, now joined by Drew Carter, who was, of course, a sports anchor and reporter here in Birmingham, but now he's off to ESPN full-time with the mothership. So, Drew, first of all, it's great to see you. How's everything as you're kind of visiting Birmingham a little bit this week? Uh, date and Kind of some nostalgia for you getting back to the Magic City? Yeah, no doubt, Roger. First of all, thank you guys for having me. And I have to say, I respect so much how you start the broadcaster hour. I've listened to a few episodes and I love that it's just no frills. We get right into it. We don't have a theme song. We don't have you guys coming on and previewing like, hey, here, what's on tap? We just go straight into the content. I love it. You know, I was listening to Kevin Harlan and it's like, I don't want to hear, you know, all this garbage, like the, the Levitard show. I love it, but I don't need like a super cut of all their funny moments before we get into the show. I'm listening for Kevin Hart. So I appreciate that you guys do that. Um, I appreciate that we're like one minute into the actual recording of the podcast right now. And that's what you're hearing. That makes me happy. But yeah, I'm in Birmingham visiting my girlfriend. It was her birthday on Tuesday. So came on down from Connecticut. I've lived for, in Birmingham for two years, just moved up to Connecticut about a month ago to start with ESPN. I'm headed up there hoping for some studio stuff because that's what I did for the past two years here in the Magic City. So we'll see if that comes through. Uh, but yeah, lived in Birmingham for two years. So it is a little nostalgic. That's for sure. No frills for sure. I mean, I, I barely comb my hair for this podcast. I mean, I am the messy me one of the two. Roger's usually <laughs> more put together and me. I'm just all over the place. But Drew, that, that nostalgia factor for you was present, I'm sure, this past week. when you get a chance to call the Syracuse game? Go back to your alma mater. And man, that's that's got to be pretty cool to see some some of the guys and gals that you went to school with and and now here you are, a part of the national crew. That's That's got to be a pretty cool feeling, right? What a professional segue from Kyle. That was, I mean, we're on the broadcaster hour now, man. These, we may not have production value, working. but we do we have. Now officially hit the broadcaster hour. Yeah. That, that was a heck of a segue. Yeah, man, it was really cool this past weekend. Uh, it, was, it was surreal. You know, I, I struggled to even put it into words. And I'm sure you guys have had moments like this where, you know, it's our job to put things into words as broadcasters, but sometimes a moment is so cool that you just really can't. So I struggled to describe what it was like. And, and here's why so I, I drove from Connecticut, got into Syracuse Thursday evening, immediately didn't even go to my hotel, immediately went on a radio show on ESPN Radio Syracuse with two guys I knew in college who are still in CNY doing the radio thing. That was cool. Then I went to my hotel. I'm on the 19th floor overlooking the city of Syracuse. It's like, wow, you know, I spent four years of my life here. I grew up here and here's the entire thing right in front of me. The following morning, I talk with students at the Newhouse School. We have a production meeting in the morning. Then I go straight to Newhouse, talk with students as if I have any wisdom to share. I'm like, I know all of you guys. Like I was here in school with you. What am I doing? Like I, I sat down and I look in the front row and I, I immediately dap up three of my good friends who I was in college with at the same time. Like, y'all are here to hear me speak? This is not how it should be. So I basically just made up what I was talking about for an hour, like I'm going to do here on this podcast. Um, but that was still really cool because, you know, I had been in the, the chair on the other side a few years ago. And there were times when I would think, hey, it'd be cool to come back here one day and speak in, in, the, uh, in the chair up there. And so to be able to do it, you know, just three years later was wild. And so I was nervous because, again, I was like, this is a big, this is a big spot here. I'm filling 
a big share because I learned everything from the professionals who came back and talked to Syracuse and the, and the professors. And so I saw some of my mentors. I've met some of my mentors when they did the same thing that I'm now doing. It was just a crazy full circle moment. Um, so talking to students was really cool. And then I had a moment on Friday where I was like, hey, I actually do have a job to do. You know, we want to make sure that this broadcast is good. This isn't the Drew Carter weekend. This is Syracuse Liberty on ACC Network. And then uh, as you guys probably saw, the game was phenomenal. Uh, Syracuse was an underdog. Not that I look at the gambling lines because I'm a professional, but I did know that Syracuse was an underdog. A minus six, I don't even know what that means. Um, but they ended up winning the game, which was, was really cool. You know, there was a moment in the first half where I realized I was probably being a little Syracuse heavy. Like a Syracuse sack for one yard, for a one yard loss against Liberty is not as exciting as a Liberty touchdown. I had to remind myself of that um, because you get kind of caught up in it. Like I call probably a hundred games at the Carrier Dome as a student. So I had to remember that I wasn't on student radio anymore. You know, even though we are on ACC Network, so I could get a, away with a little bit of a slant, you know, Syracuse being in the ACC, Liberty being independent, but it was still a national show. So I had to remind myself of that. But yeah, the entire weekend was, was just amazing. And then I stayed through Sunday. The game was on Friday. I stayed through Sunday. And Sunday morning, I just kind of walked around campus. It was a beautiful, crisp morning in central New York. There's about a two-week window on either side of uh, winter in Syracuse where the, the weather is like somewhat tenable. It's either way too hot or way too cold usually. But you've got a little window, and we hit that window. So it was a beautiful morning in Syracuse, hung out, walked around campus, teared up a little bit as I saw my old classrooms and the places I used to hang out. And then Sunday I drove back and it was one of the coolest weekends of my life. Going to school at Syracuse, like you said, there's a very small portion of the year where the weather is tolerable. Like how I I don't I haven't asked this before to anybody who's come on who's gone to Syracuse, but how tough was it to go there just weather wise? Like 20 feet of snow outside the dorm rooms just to get to a game like I feel like it could be pretty miserable at times. You're there because you're you're a great broadcaster and you know that that's going to be a great springboard to to go to the Newhouse school, but man, that's that's got to suck at times, right? When, when you when you deal with that weather constantly. That's why I never went to class, Kyle. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's just not worth it at some point. You know, like I've got an Econ 101 class. Great, love the professor. Not going to walk 20 minutes with the wind blowing in my face somehow both directions to go to a class of 300 students in a lecture hall. The weather is terrible. It's, it's the worst weather, I think, in America. I grew up in Minnesota, which everyone thinks, oh, terrible. You know, I've seen the movie Fargo. You're going to put you in the wood chipper. Oh, Minnesota, nothing's happening. It's just snow and frozen lakes, which is sometimes true. But the weather in Syracuse is worse. The wind is worse. The snow is worse. You know, Minnesota has 10,000 lakes, but the lake effect snow in Syracuse is what really gets you. I think it's Lake Ontario from Canada. I'm so bad with the Syracuse geography, but the weather is awful. And I said the, the wind blows in your face no matter which direction you're walking. It's really, I mean, it's like Neil deGrasse Tyson needs to go to Syracuse and figure out what kind of astrological phenomenon causes that because it's true. And so I was carrying my suit across campus for, for the game and I'm like, how is this possible? It's like I have a flag that's blowing in 100 mile an hour gales. And I'm like trying to keep my suit somehow like usable for on the air. I've got my chart too. It was just a mess. So yeah, the weather 
it's really, really bad in Syracuse. It's definitely the biggest downside of going there. Well, again, you got a little taste of it in Minnesota, but you say it's different. Uh, you also got a big taste for uh, sports. You have, of course, the Gophers there. You have every professional league is represented as well. Just were you a diehard sports fan growing up? Was that the spark for all of this? Yes. And Roger, let me amend that. For now, we have all four professional sports leagues, but I think A-Rod might be hightailing it out of Minnesota with the Timberwolves, maybe Seattle. And I don't even care if they do. I will answer that question legitimately here. I don't even care if the Timberwolves leave because it will give me an excuse to choose a competent organization to root for. I'll just be a free agent and I can go somewhere else. The Minnesota sports teams for the majority of my life have been terrible. There are slight blips of hope. Brett Favre's first year in Minnesota, I think we were the best team in the league, but then the Saints put a bounty on his head. He's in his late 30s, and he's severely concussed by the time we get to overtime, and he throws it over the middle on the run, and it's picked off, and we lose. You know, we should have won the Super Bowl that year. The Timberwolves, when I was really young, and some of my first basketball memories are Kevin Garnett, Latrell Sprewell, Sam Cassell, Wally Zerbiak, Trenton Hassel, really good teams back then, but could never get over the Lakers hump. So there wasn't real hope there. And aside from that, I mean, the Twins won the division by playing small ball, like in the mid-2000s a few times. But, you know, aside from that, Minnesota sports have been pretty bad, which actually I think is somewhat good for me because I became numb to sports fandom when it comes to specific teams. I still love sports, obviously. Like, that's the reason we all get into sports broadcasting. But I learned to love moments and stories and players and personalities as opposed to teams. Because now I don't really care, you know, if, if Minnesota teams win. I wouldn't have cared if Syracuse had lost that game, despite what it sounded like in the first half. I, I really wouldn't have cared because I became numb to it, which I think is good in this industry. It really is. And I've heard as well that the spark for you, of course, getting into sports, it wasn't necessarily sports broadcasting at the beginning. Wasn't it sports writing? Who were some of the writers that really inspired you in your early days? Every day when I got home from school, Roger, I would read Grantland.com. You guys remember Grantland, the Bill Simmons ESPN offshoot? Every day I would sit down, I would queue up PTI or around the horn on the TV, and I would just go to Grantland.com, which I think some people in a younger generation might not understand typing in a URL. Like we all go to websites through apps or a bookmark on our browser, but I would just type in the URL, grantland.com, and see what they were cooking up that day. And I feel like that helped me develop my voice as a writer, which obviously translates into speaking and broadcasting. So I love Bill Simmons. You know, I love and hate Bill Simmons, if that makes sense. He's such a homer, and he, you know, there are some times where I'm listening to him or used to read him when he would write, and I'd be like, come on with this. Like, he picked the Patriots to win the Super Bowl this year, and he was, like, trying to make the case as if he's not just picking them because he's Bill Simmons. Um, but I, I love him, and I really love the way he writes when he used to write. It's just very conversational. And, you know, everyone says nowadays that they just want to be like a fan and they want to relate, and they, they want it to be like a sports bar, right, where you're just having a conversation. I feel like Simmons was a bit of a pioneer in that respect because before he got really big, it was a lot more buttoned up, I think. And now, I mean, nowadays, we're probably – three of a thousand people recording a sports podcast right now as we speak. So I, I love Simmons, um, Kornheiser and Wilbon on pardon the interruption are obviously writers who turned into broadcasters. That's kind of what I wanted to do when I went to SU. So I applied to get into the Newhouse school 
which I did not think I would make it. You know, when I toured, they had told us they accept 9% of applicants. Not a great student. I've already said on this podcast that I never went to class at Syracuse, which isn't entirely true. But, you know, in high school, I was, again, more focused on the extracurriculars. I wrote for my high school newspaper. I did fine grades-wise, fine on the standardized test, but I just didn't think I had the chops to get into a school like Newhouse. Somehow got lucky. Maybe my mom like bribed the admissions office or something. I made it in and I was like, great, I'm in Newhouse. This is it. But you have to choose a major once you get into Newhouse. It's such a big communication school. You got to choose either broadcast journalism or print journalism or PR or advertising or something. And so again, I wanted to be a writer, but we did some research, my mom and I, and we found out that the broadcast journalism program is the one that produced you know, Tarico, Costas, Stockton, Albert, the list goes on. So decided to do that, but then write for the student newspaper. Then chance meeting, I ended up meeting Jay Alter, who I'm sure you guys know being in the industry, he has been working for ESPN ever since he left SU um, in 2016. So he was a senior when I was a freshman. I met him outside a professor's office. He said, come to our general interest meeting for WAER, the student radio station that all the kids do sports for. And from that point forward, it was like, all right, I love broadcasting. Let's do this. Tried out for the student TV station. Felt really good. I mean, I was terrible, I know, but I was like, this is really fun. Like I enjoy writing for broadcast and reading off a teleprompter. And so I kind of got comfortable with it. And I guess the rest is history. I never wanted to write again. <laughs> Writing's boring anyway. So talking yeah, is more fun. We all know that it's all slowly fading out. At least newspapers are, but there is a place for writing always. And being a good writer yeah. means you're a good broadcaster and all that. But the culture at, at AER, and we've talked about this with a bunch of different people we've had on, because when you have a broadcasting podcast, about 90% of the people are going to be from Syracuse. It's just <laughs> kind of a law of averages. The, the culture there, how much like does everyone spend time there? Is there a feedback loop amongst peers of you're each listening to each other's tapes, giving feedback. Are there professors listening to tapes and giving feedback? Because it's such a professional broadcast, a professional setup, I have to assume that there is a lot of feedback and um, a lot of guardrails to get on get on air at, at AER. Yeah, it's a really good question, Kyle. And I think it's the thing I miss the most about Syracuse is how driven everyone is and how badly everyone wants to be great and how much people push each other to get there. So at WAER, you're not going to get on the air until sophomore year at the earliest. And that's after a freshman year where for the first semester, you wake up at 5.30 a.m. And because that's when our morning show is because it's an NPR station. You wake up at 5.30, you go in, you write and voice practice sportscasts, and you get critiqued by upperclassmen. That's the cycle. And you do that for a whole year. Um, and the reason it's sports cast is because, you know, a lot of us want to do play-by-play -play right when we get there. So you think, why, why am I not practicing play-by-play -play right now? But writing and delivering a sports cast for two minutes, I think teaches you so much about the craft. I mean, as you guys know, like everything we do in broadcasting is related. You know, play-by-play -play makes you better at hosting. Anchoring makes you better at reporting. All of it is storytelling. All of it is sometimes ad-libbing. It all helps the other things. So writing sportscasts, you are doing writing. And I was joking about how writing is boring. I mean, if you want to be a great broadcaster, I think you do have to be a great writer. It's different writing from print to TV. But when we're speaking, we're just writing with our mouths. 
So you have to be a good writer, I think, and, and learn how the language works and learn how to vary up your verbiage and stuff like that. So you're writing a sportscast, it's two minutes, and you're delivering it, and you're learning about inflection and performance, and you're doing it on the radio, where that stuff, I feel like, is even more important than it is on TV. Because, you know, TV is a visual medium. And so a lot of it is what we're seeing. And if you're on camera, it's how you look. But in radio, it's all about how you sound. And so I think that was a really good foundation. And that's the way, that's, that's why it is the way it is. You know, people have been doing it for 50, 60 years at WAER and it just works. Um, so you don't get on the air until you're, you're a sophomore at the earliest. And there is a feedback loop. You know, we had a, a meeting every week, every weekend after our game. If it was a Saturday game, we'd meet on a Sunday night. We talked about what we liked, what we didn't like from the broadcast. We put together these pieces for that were five minutes long, just telling a story about the game. Um, and we'd have these meetings to review the broadcast, and it was just, it was just awesome because everyone wanted it so bad, and we really cared. Like we took a lot of pride in being the best student radio station in the country. And you know, you've got Blaze Radio at ASU, and I'm sure Northwestern has something. They all like to stake that claim. It's just not the same, man. I'm sorry. It's just not the same. Like the standard of excellence at WAER is so high. That's why people come out of there ready to be professional broadcasters. Because like you said, Kyle, we basically operate as pros when we're students. That's the real reason I didn't go to class a lot when I was a senior. Because we had ACC Network Extra. I was doing games for them. We had WAER. I traveled to Orlando for football and Durham, North Carolina for basketball where Syracuse won an overtime against Zion Williamson and Duke. Just want to put that out there. That was awesome. Uh, like I basically acted like a professional as a senior in college. And that's one of the things that makes Syracuse so special. And the entire time I was doing it, I was competing with in air quotes, but really working together with to get better. Noah Eagle, Tyler Aki, James Colgan, my buddy, Fred Conorico, his real name is Connor Federico, but we all call him Fred. Like it, it, those guys made me, who I am as a person and as a broadcaster, because we all wanted to be great. And I knew that if I went on the air and I didn't bring my A game, Noah would hop on there in the second half and bring his A game. So you are always striving to be great, striving for excellence. And I think that's why it's such a special place for broadcasters. I think of it as like, I don't know, a battle royale, like the anchorman scene where they're all fighting with the weapons of the best college radio station. And just so you see Northwestern, Missouri and Syracuse just fighting each other. Yeah. He didn't mention William Patterson, Brave New Radio, Kyle. Uh, how do you feel about that? Look, we, we've won college station. We've won Marconi's. I don't need to say mm. anymore. You know, we've invented mm. college radio. Oh, here we, go. we get disrespected over and over again. We're not WPR, <laughs> but we're WPSC. And that's that's good for something. Um, in the, the Anchorman Street Fight, WAER is brick. We have the, the trident and we're killing guys. Yes. Legitimately murdering them. Yeah. I can't argue with that. <laughs> I, I find it interesting, though, um, you know, the competitive nature and all that at AER, and we'll get to more of your career as well. Big, and it's interesting because we, we have these career segments, a lot of these guys, and you're so young that it's not necessarily that long of a trajectory yet to getting to ESPN. So we don't have a lot to cover until we get to your ESPN time. But the pressure on the reps, junior and senior year at Syracuse, because oh, yeah. they're so minimal, man. And it's like, I exactly. better nail this or I'm not going to get a job. Do you, you think that mm -hmm. way? Dude, totally, Kyle. Totally. And so when I was talking to the students this past week, my biggest piece of advice for any young broadcaster, you know, if someone is listening to this and 
you know, they're in high school or college and they want to do this and you take one thing away, my biggest piece of advice is consider the listener. Here's what that means. So consider the listener. I'm not creative enough to come up with that. It's straight stolen from Marty Glickman, who is the godfather of Syracuse broadcasting. If anyone doesn't know who Marty Glickman was, he called games for the Knicks and Giants and I think the, the Jets and maybe the Yankees. He coined the term slam dunk. He coined the term alley-oop. This guy is an OG Marty Glickman. Also was an Olympic sprinter um, in 1936, which is a fascinating story if you've never heard it. So anyway, Marty Glickman, his thing was consider the listener. And the whole idea of that is when you're broadcasting, you're not thinking about how can I make Drew Carter look good or sound good right now? It's what does the audience want to hear? What can I tell them right now that's going to teach them something, that's going to put a smile on their face? If the moment calls for it, that's going to maybe make them get emotional. What's going to enhance their experience the most? And so the reason I bring that up, Kyle, is because when you're doing so few games because so many people want to do them as a junior and senior, it's easy to get on the mic and think, I have to nail this. I've got to put this on my Jim Nance Award tape. I've got to put this on my reel to get a job as a pro. I'm going to call maybe one basketball game on TV when I'm in college, and that's what I want to do in the pro, so I need to drill this. And what happens when you do that is you start thinking about yourself. How do I sound? How do I look? I need to use all my prep. I'm going to talk way too fast in the first five minutes of this game. I'm going to ignore what my analyst is saying because I'm going to think about what am I saying next so I sound good. It's so easy to fall into that mindset. And I, I caught myself doing it a few times in school. But because I had great mentors, like I think of Dan Duva. Dan Duva is the guy who taught me consider the listener. He was my boss with the Syracuse Crunch. He hired me on Cape Cod with the Chatham Anglers. To this day, we are friends. I consider him more of a friend than a mentor. And he told me that, consider the listener. And it's not just about telling the audience what will enhance their experience. It's also listener singular, not listeners plural or viewers plural. Because if you think about it, every person digests a broadcast in their own way. You could be at a sports bar with a thousand people watching the Super Bowl, but you're all listening to Al Michaels individually. And so the more personal it feels, the better the broadcast is, the more you're going to be thinking, I want to watch more of this. So yeah, it's a long answer to a simple question, but it can be very competitive. Um, luckily, our, our class was very healthy. Like those guys I mentioned earlier, they're still my best friends. We golfed at Pinehurst last month. Like those are my best friends in the world because it was competitive in a positive way where we all wanted the best for each other. My friend is starting a new job um, next week. And we were all just texting in our group chat about it this morning. And like, I'm legitimately so stoked for him. Like as excited that I got the job at ESPN because I just know he's going to be so happy and he's doing what he wants to do. That's, that's what it's all about, man. And so it was competitive in a healthy way, but still, when you got on the air, it was like, I need to crush this. And I think the more you can leave that mindset behind and think about what does the viewer need to hear right now, the better it's going to be. Mentioned the Cape Cod League. Let's talk baseball for a second. What'd you enjoy about that? That's another area where there are a lot of young broadcasters really competing for reps, really trying to get better. And I'm sure that was a great environment. You also did uh, the Auburn Double Days, I believe. So what do you love about baseball yeah. broadcasting and how enjoyable were those two experiences for you? Yeah, it was awesome, Roger. I mean, as you guys know, baseball broadcasting is so different from every other sport. It's basically like you're hosting a podcast and there's just a game happening in front of you. Um, 
you know, obviously there are huge moments that you have to rise to the occasion for, but in a baseball game, there's a chance that you're talking for three, three and a half hours and your voice only rises three times. So doing those games, and I think it was more about the consistency, you know, every day coming to work and every day putting a good product out there and not getting bogged down with the monotony of it. I think you learn a lot about it. I know, Roger, you did minor league baseball for a while in Jacksonville. Like it, it can get, it can get difficult. You know, I was in short season single A. I wasn't even full season, but 78 games in probably 85 days. And I was alone. So it's like, what do you talk about? How do you, how do you pass the time? How am I going to make this entertaining for people? You're your own producer. You're your own engineer. You are the play-by-play guy and the analyst. You have to just, you have to get creative. And so that really pushes the, the creative juices for sure. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of the broadcast. And, you know, being part of a team, too. I think a lot of us get into broadcasting because we're not good enough to play sports professionally, but there's nothing else we want to be involved in for a living because we just love sports so much. And so being a play-by-play guy for a team, doing it live, being somewhat part of the game and somewhat part of the team, I think is the closest thing to matching what we love about being part of a sports team as in like playing for a sports team. So I just loved it. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, you, you learn a lot about yourself when you're on the air for three hours for 78 nights in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly do. And uh, we mentioned as well the Jim Nance Award. Uh, you were able to win that. Just what went into the reel that you sent off to STAA for the reel that was considered by John Chelesnick, everybody that was on that panel? And what was your reaction when you won the award? Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, so Basically, my whole goal when I was at SU was to become the most versatile broadcaster possible, do a bunch of different things. And then the real would take care of itself. Like, I think of networking as just being a good human being and coming across people and just making a real connection as opposed to thinking, what can I do for this person? So the entire time I was at Syracuse, or what can this person do for me? So the entire time I was at Syracuse, I was just thinking, Every time we have a chance to call a game or host a show or report on something, let's just make it as good as it can be. And I'll, I'll figure out the rest of the reel later. Now there are times where, you know, you feel like you have a really good stretch. Maybe you mark it down in a note on your app just to make it easier when you're finally putting the reel together. Um, So it was sort of in the back of my mind uh, throughout senior year, but I was just hoping to do the best I could every time I got on the air. Not to sound like Steve Sarkeesian last year at Alabama, like I just want to be the best version of Steve Sarkeesian every day. But that's really what I was trying to do is just be the best version of Drew Carter every time and then hopefully have enough stuff to fill out a 20-minute reel that you know shows I can do a bunch of things and shows you know I can call a game like a professional, hopefully. So when it got time to put the reel together, um, I knew it was important to me because, you know, I finished 10th my junior year and I had really looked up to the people who had finished highly and who had won it in the past. So I wanted to do something a little bit different. As much as I love the broadcaster hour that comes straight into the conversation, I knew I needed a little pop off the air, right? And so I I made this kind of super cut of welcomes to broadcast where It was me doing a bunch of different sports. We had a welcome in soccer. We had a welcome in hockey, in tennis, in rowing, I think, or field hockey or basketball, just a bunch of different welcomes and a bunch of different sports, introducing the analysts and 
you know, getting into the game. Then we had a, some TV play-by-play in there, some radio play-by-play, some hosting, some anchoring, just trying to show that I was versatile. And then um, the day that I figured out that I had won, you know, I was home in Minnesota. It was after graduation. And it was bizarre. <laughs> I'll just be honest. It was bizarre because, you know, I had applied my freshman and sophomore year, didn't even place, didn't even get honorable mention, never really thought it, it was a thing that could actually happen. Um, then junior year finished in the top 10. I was like, okay, maybe, okay, maybe. But I knew there were so many talented people in my class. I mean, again, one of my best friends is Noah Eagle. And it wasn't just him in, in our class. We had so many really talented guys and gals who worked really hard. And I knew this was important to them as well. Um, so I, I don't know, I guess I didn't expect to win it, but then, you know, they were, John Telesnik is like naming people. We're getting to the top 10. I'm like, okay, I'm either in the top 10 or I didn't place at all. So this could be either really good or really bad. You know, nine, eight, seven, we get to the All-Americans. I'm like, I think I'm going to be in here. I hope so. And then we get to number two and he says, Noah. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like this next 10 seconds is going to define a lot about like the rest of my career. Because, you know, if you win that award, it gives you some real juice and some real clout as a professional coming out of school. And then uh, he said my name and my, my family was there. It was literally just, I can see it now. We were in our kitchen, just my mom, my dad, our Corgi, Cassie, who was very excited, um, and me. And he said my name and we all went crazy and my phone started blowing up and it was just a really cool moment. But I was glad that I could share it with them because, you know, none of this happens without the constant support of my parents, right? Um, and I'm sure you guys, you know, feel the same way, like, to pursue a career in broadcasting, it's like you, you tell your parents you want to be a rapper, right? It's like, it's about as realistic that these things happen, that you make it as a broadcaster. It's crazy. Like, hey, mom, I want to talk about sports for a living. Will you send me to central New York to go to college for that? Is it cool if I live in Alabama for two years? I know everyone from my high school is in Minnesota and like 15 minutes away from their, the house where they grew up. But you know, I'm going to travel all across the country. Is that cool? And like, I'm going to live in, in Syracuse and in Chatham and Auburn, New York, the three summers, I'm not going to come home after college, those summers, I'm going to go live other places. And they just like never even batted an eye. And they always believed in me. So when to share that moment with them was really cool. You know, the award is home in Minnesota, eventually, I'll take it to Syracuse. But yeah, it was just, it was really cool. Sorry to like get super nostalgic and, you know, thinking about that memory. But it, it was it was awesome. And the Nance Award definitely gives you some real credibility as you, you walk off campus and into the real world. We were hoping for some tears during that story. We were hoping <laughs> to be able to, to cut that for our social media, but uh, no, that, that is a great story. And it's great to share those moments with your parents. And, you know, the same thing when I got the Florida job, um, sharing that moment with my dad, but for you going to Birmingham next step, my, my question would be, was it always in the back of your mind, Drew, doing the anchoring stuff that you always still want to do the play by play that it was that, that kind of itch yeah. was still there for you? Yeah, no doubt. So I, I wasn't expecting to take a job in local news out of school because I knew I wanted to do play-by-play. -play. You know, like we talked about, I think play-by-play -play is the closest emulation of playing in a game, which is kind of how we all fell in love with sports is playing. Um, so I always wanted to do play-by-play. -play. That's what I felt like my best thing was in college. It's what I was the most proud of. And I definitely wanted to do that in the real world. I ended up in Birmingham because Rob Martin, our news director, sent me an email. And, you know, I was 
about ready to trash it, to be honest with you guys, because it said local news job, Alabama. I'm like, X, X. It's like family feud. I don't want to be in local news and I don't want to live in Alabama. I've never been down there. And, you know, I'm a Yankee and Alabama has a bit of a reputation. So I was like, there's no chance. But then I, I actually read the email and it's like, okay, we're a top 50 market. We cover Alabama and Auburn football and also some UAB and some Sanford. They're great schools in the area. And I was like, this seems pretty cool. You know, I'm down for this. And hopefully I could pick up some play-by-play on the side. So long story short, I ended up taking the job and was fortunate to do some play-by-play in addition to my CBS 42 job. I did some games for Big Ten Network, which I was very blessed to be able to do. And then same thing for UAB women's basketball. You know, it was just, it was me on a, a stream that was the house feed on conferenceusa.tv, which I think had a subscription fee of $7.95 a month. The only people watching those games were the parents of the players, but it was still really fun. And I still treated it like the Super Bowl, or at least tried to, because, you know, you never want to let a chance to improve go to waste. Um, so that's kind of how I stayed sharp. And I knew that after my two years in Birmingham, I'd like to get back into play-by-play if possible. Um, and it ended up working out. So I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. And creating those relationships to take the next step in your career. And I've always heard there's a, there's a difference between networking and relationship building because networking is almost like you're asking somebody for something as opposed to building yeah. relationships. And for you, we all know what the aspirations are for, for you and, and for me and for Roger, you know, we want to get to the highest levels of the in- industry. Uh, what were you doing in that time to build those relationships? How were you building those relationships? How often were you trying to do that in your time in Birmingham? Yeah. So what you said there, Kyle, it makes me think of how a lot of people look at networking, which is transactional. And that's probably my least favorite thing about the industry. I think it happens in any competitive field where you never know who's talking to you because they want to cozy up to you and think you can do something for them in the future, as opposed to those people who legitimately care about you and, and want to get to know you as a human being. So I think that's a hard part of the business and, you know, certainly hard being on either end because it's hard to break through um, and people network for a reason. So when I was in Birmingham, you know, I'm fortunate to have an agent, Kevin Belby, who is the man, like he's very good at his job. And I think of him more as a friend and big brother than as an agent. You know, he's not like Jerry Maguire. He's not sleazy. He's not trying to get every penny he can out of me. I think he legitimately cares about me. Um, So with him, you know, in my corner, I didn't feel like I had to worry quite as much about the networking and about finding that next gig. And I could kind of focus on the day to day. And again, just being the best version of myself every time we went on the air. So that was really nice. And that was good peace of mind. Um, But at the same time, you know, I think the best networking I did in Alabama was just getting to know the people around this region and this area. Again, I I grew up in Minnesota. I went to school in Syracuse, an ACC school. I didn't know anything about the FCC until I got down here. I thought the it just means more slogan was a joke. Like I made fun of that with my friend. But then I got down here and I realized that it's kind of legit. You know, people say that for a reason. It kind of does just mean more. And I loved living in Birmingham. I really did. I know I said earlier that like I never expected to live in Alabama, never wanted to, but being back here is really great because I love it. And I can, you know, see my friends I made down here and hit all my favorite spots. It's a really, really cool area. 
So anyway, the networking part was more just meeting people and, you know, meeting SIDs and meeting people behind the scenes. And I don't know, like a guy who owns a bar, you never know who's going to end up as one of your best friends. And you never know who's going to help you in the long run. Because what if, you know, let's, let's say Ted Feely, who's the UAB SID and amazing at his job. Ted and I connected right away because he's from Syracuse. What if Ted Feely hears from the Conference USA commissioner, hey, we need someone to call this game. You got anyone? Ted might say, hey, yeah, Drew and I were pretty tight when he was in Birmingham. I think he does a decent job. Maybe, maybe you give him a look. Like you just never know who's going to help you. Um, so I would say the networking I did down here was more just meeting people naturally and, and building those relationships outside of broadcasting, if that makes sense. It really does. And now, of course, you're full-time with ESPN, getting to call a lot of different games. And we kind of detailed some of the different games you've already called this year. But just how do you attack prep? Where does it start for you? What do you like to build on your chart? And just uh, are you using more statistics? Do you like more stories? Just what's your philosophy on that? Yeah, it's interesting, Roger, because I'm still, you know, still trying to find the right mix. It's been a while since I've done play-by-play consistently. Uh, Last time was in college when I would be calling, you know, a couple games every week. Every time I did it when I was at CBS 42, it was kind of a one-off. So I would have like a month to prep and I'd have plenty of time to organize my thoughts. It's a little different at ESPN. You know, we'll get the assignment with a little over a week to prepare. So what I like to, what I like to do at the start is get the names, numbers, height, weights, hometowns in my chart. And I'm sure you guys have talked about the, the holy play-by-play chart a lot on Broadcaster Hour. I basically get the shell in there, all the nuts and bolts, and then... I'll just go to every player page on the roster, do some Googling for the big names, basically try to immerse myself in the programs as much as possible. I think the goal when you're doing a national broadcast is make both fan bases feel like you've been around the program for years and you understand where they're coming from, what the headspace of the program is. A, A great example is Wake Forest. So we had their games week one and week two. And so I, I made a Twitter list with Wake Forest and Old Dominion and Norfolk State beat writers and fans and SB Nation blogs. And you just basically try to encapsulate the mindset of a fan base and of an area as it pertains to this program as much as you can. Because, you know, it can be hard parachuting in for one week and then parachuting back out, I guess flying back out. You can't really parachute out. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, how do, how do you... How do you sound like you know exactly what you're talking about with a program when you've only been researching them for a week? Um, so I've, I think I've struggled a little bit the first month here to organize my thoughts and my notes. Perfect example is Malik Willis. I took a couple boxes out of the Liberty offense on my chart and made them Willis continued. So I had the Willis notes in his little box, and then I had extra notes in another box. Then we had the notes from the coaches meeting, which I had handwritten in my little journal. Then I had a Google Doc with Willis bullet points. And I think I need to do a better job of consolidating all of that uh, because, you know, Malik Willis could be the number one overall pick. He was the biggest star last Friday night. And I just felt like I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. The quarterback touches the ball every play. I mean, realistically, you should have a chance to use all your stuff on a quarterback um, until the game gets really tight, which it did. Um, in Syracuse on Friday. So that's an example of where I want to get better is organizing my prep. But I would say it starts shells and then I get into the more human interest stories. 
And then as well as a television play-by-play announcer, just how do you try to be a good teammate, not just to your analysts, because everyone sees that relationship, but also the producer, the director, making sure all throughout the week you guys are on the same page. And then especially during the broadcast, you're all communicating and working together for the common goal. Yeah, that can be a tough dance, I think, because some producers love when the on-air folks are involved with the production. I would say most of them fall into that category, but sometimes you'll run into someone who's like, all right, it's, you know, I'm the producer. It's it's my show. I'll produce it. And and that's fine. But working with different people, you kind of have to feel it out. Um, And so I think the best rule of thumb is just be invested and engaged throughout the week. Do your prep. Be a, a good teammate, you know, be responsive and send ideas if you have them, because the worst thing that could happen is if you if you send an idea, it's just that we don't use it. You know, sometimes I don't I try not to worry about, you know, stepping on anyone's toes anymore, because all I'm trying to do is, is help the broadcast if I send, you know, a list of ideas. And it's the same thing for everyone on our team. Um, I, I also think that, you know, we were talking about prep there, Roger, but I think the most important prep I do during a week is getting to know the other people on the crew. I actually think it's more valuable to grab dinner with our analysts than, you know, write down a couple more Malik Willis stats on my chart because, you know, the conversation is, it's a three, three and a half hour conversation with someone. And then if you've got a sideline reporter, same thing for them. And it's really important to get to know them, you know, learn, maybe maybe make a connection personally, learn how they operate, learn what they like from a play-by-play guy. Same thing for the producer and director. So just try to make it as much of a team environment as possible in a week span. You know, it's hard. You're not going to make a, I'm not going to have anyone in my wedding that I only did one game with. You know what I mean? Um, So you're not going to become best friends with them probably, but as long as you've got a good working relationship and you know a little bit about the other person, um, I think that's really, really important. True. How how close are you to getting to the exact style on the air that, like vocally, your presentation, every way that you want to sound. I know it's still very early in your career. How much do you go back and evaluate yourself? Maybe go back, watch Syracuse Liberty game from the start, watch the open. So, you know, I like what I did here. I like how I, you know, introduced this nugget here. How much evaluation are you doing on a nightly basis to, to continue to what you think is get to your sound, your presentation of what you want to be? A lot. I watch a lot, probably more than is healthy. I think a lot of us in broadcasting are the same kind of way, but it's not, it's not watching back being like, wow, look how good this was. It's watching it back and be like, oh my God, I suck. Like I'm cringing. I, I can't, I can't watch any more of this. This is terrible. So when you say how close am I to the sound I want to be, I would say not close um, because I look back on stuff I did in college a couple of years ago. And I'm like, I sound like a child here. I'm speaking way too fast. I have no rhythm. I just needed more reps. You know, I needed to get more comfortable on the air. And I think hopefully in three years, if I look back on that Syracuse Liberty game, I'll think the same thing. This sucks. This is not how I want to sound because hopefully I'll have improved by then. Um, So yeah, honestly, not close. And I think for that specific game, I was way too juiced up in the first half, I was back at my old stomping grounds in the carrier dome. Like I said, I was calling the game like I was on Syracuse student radio and I really, I needed to look in the mirror, take a deep breath and basically relax. And I think we settled in a little bit in the second half. Um, 
But yeah, I'm hoping that in the future, I'll look back on this first year and say, that wasn't very good. Not because I want the product to suck. I, you know, I want the, the audience to enjoy it. But from my personal perspective, I would hope that I sound different in a better way a few years from now. All of that is, is so normal too. You know, like, yeah. you know, I go back and listen to everything and, and you say, wow, that you never point out the positives in anything that you do. And, it, and it's right. something that can be frustrating because you never allow yourself to get to that point where, you know what, you know, Drew, you, you did a good job here or Kyle, you did it. It's just, you never get to that point and it can be frustrating and beat you down. Um, I right. wanted to ask you about opens on camera opens because <laughs> I suck at them. And that's one of those things where I say, Kyle, I have to do a better job at this for the love of God, do a better job. What are you at doing? This. Yes. Yes. So your, your presentation, do you have bullet points in your mind? Do you have certain things written down that you, how much do you rehearse it beforehand? How do you try and perfect? I don't want to use the word perfect, but, but get good at those on-camera opens. Yeah, every week is different. You know, sometimes based on the timing, you'll record it. Sometimes you'll do it live just based on what happens. So this year, a good example, Wake Forest, they do this thing called Open the Gate, where that unbelievably creepy demon deacon mascot is on a motorcycle and they've got like a famous alum on the back this week or week one it was dr susan wenty who's the new president of the university and that was something we wanted to highlight you know the, the whole idea everyone in college football did the same thing this year week one which was bands are back you know our whole thing with espn is welcome home because college football huge part of it is pageantry fans it's just not the same when no one's in the house so the only reason I say that is because that's what we wanted to highlight in the open in week one. And we had to do it live because that happened two minutes before we were on the air. So, you know, the studs in the control room were getting that replay and spinning that wheel and making sure we had it all ready to roll. Um, and so we, we did it live. And that time, you know, because it was my first game for ESPN, because I had a lot of nerves, I wrote down some bullet points. And I think it's, you know, doing play by play, nothing is scripted. So it's okay to have something scripted at the start, right? It's okay to have an idea of what you're going to say. Um, so that's what I usually do is write down a couple of bullet points, come up with something that I think is like somewhat clever. Um, like on Friday of this high school football, I said like, as the sun sets in the valley, the Friday night lights shine bright, something like that. A little cheesy for sure. No doubt, you know, cheesier than an in and out burger that's animal style. But I thought it was a nice way to kind of welcome people to the broadcast, right? And then when you get on camera, I think it's really important in that moment to establish that I'm not the star here. If anyone is the star on the air, it's the analyst. So my thought when we're on camera, really quick. Hey everybody, welcome to the Valley. Drew Carter alongside Bobby Carpenter. Bobby, this one should be fun or something like that. It can be as generic as that just to let them talk for as, as long as they want. Basically, that's the idea because now, I remember Mike Tirico came to Syracuse once and he said, the star of the show is never the play-by-play guy. If there's going to be a star from an on-air perspective, it'll be the color analyst. Look at Tony Romo's salary. That's true. <laughs> the star is always going to be the color guy. So letting them get involved right away. Um, and then really during the open, you're kind of just a traffic cop. You are ushering the analyst and sometimes the sideline reporter into different elements just to unfold the broadcast. And what I like to do is, number one, make sure I'm listening to what the color analyst is saying, um, not you know, looking at the format, thinking, what am I going to say for this next thing, is really listening. Uh, because no matter how many times you rehearse the open, 
something's going to change when you're doing it live. Um, and they might say something different and I have to be ready to react to that. So I like to kind of, so last week, for example, we were talking about Malik Willis and let's say Bobby, I don't even remember what we were talking about in the open necessarily, but let's just say that, you know, okay. So Taylor was on the sidelines. I do remember this. Taylor was on the sidelines talking about how the ground game is going to be crucial because in the first two meetings in 19 and 20, it was all about who won the battle on the ground. And so she finished her point and I came back and I said, Liberty ran for 338 yards in this building last year. That's a big reason why they won Syracuse hopes to tighten that up. Let's go take off. And then the next thing. So it, it's all about, you know, capping what they say and then moving on to the next thing. But it's so important to listen. I feel like that that's the key is just listening to what the other people are saying. And of course, uh, you have some studio work that's coming up at ESPN. Of course, you know, all the time in Birmingham, you're doing studio sports casts. So just how did you approach that? Were you trying to be scripted as could be for all those different uh, events? Or did you try to keep it a little more spontaneous? And I imagine that'll be uh, the same when you do studio work at ESPN. Yeah, a little bit of both. It, it just depended on, on the setting. When we were anchoring a newscast, the sports block, everything was scripted. Um, and, and a big reason for that is timing. You know, the sports are in the D block. So for a 5.30 show, we don't get to sports until 5.22. It's like we have 2.30, and if you go 10 seconds over, everyone is going to be you know, scrambling to get out of here on time. Um, so everything was scripted when we were anchoring sports. But then out in the field and you know, during college football Saturdays, we had three and a half hours of programming. That's where it was a little more off the cuff. And that's what I think is more fun, to be honest. You know, we've talked a lot about writing and I enjoyed writing and editing and producing those sportscasts, but it's just more fun to me when, when you're just vibing and you're, you're speaking extemporaneously. So that was, that was fun when, you know, they come out to us live at Bryant-Denny Stadium or at Jordan-Hare Stadium or wherever we were on the road and we could just kind of talk and just ad-lib a little bit. So it was a good mixture of both. And I think that's, kind of why I learned so much at CBS 42 and why I improved as a broadcaster at CBS 42 because I had a chance to do both and both things help the other one for sure. You have a dream stadium, dream basketball arena, maybe in the college side that you want to call a game in most. Now you've done Cameron indoor. You said that yeah. again. So that's, that's probably up there. So you can't say that because you've done it. Uh, but you've been around the SEC, so you've seen some of the great stadiums around the conference. Is there anyone where you really pinch yourself when you get the opportunity to call a game in, in that stadium one day that you think about? The Carrier Dome would be pretty cool to call a hoops game in. We've done football, but if you've been to Syracuse, you know it's way different because for hoops, it's basically a third of the building because football field way bigger than a basketball court, so they just put the basketball court from like the end zone to the 30 or 40 yard line or whatever, but they managed to fit in 60 to 70% of the capacity of the building for hoops game. So like when we played Duke, when I was a student there, you'd have people in like the other section on the opposite side of the building who could like barely see over the bleachers onto the court. But basically we just wanted to set the attendance record. So that's what we did. Um, but all that to say the carrier dome for basketball is really special. And I mean, it's so loud. There's so many people in there for a basketball game. The entire city, like everyone in Syracuse, even if they don't like basketball, would rather be in a seat at the Carrier Dome than wherever else they were at that moment. You know what I mean? It's, just, it's such a special environment. So if I, if I could do a hoops game there, that'd be pretty sweet. And 
Same thing for Coleman Coliseum or Auburn Arena. You know, just covering a bunch of games from press row there, I would always think about how cool would it be to call a game here. You know, I think about the first Iron Bowl of basketball I did, which was uh, January of 2020, where Auburn was ranked top five, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Roger, but Auburn was undefeated in top five. Yeah, Undefeated, coming off the Final Four trip. And they came into Coleman and got waxed, like – Nate, Nate Oates and crew wiped the floor with those fellas, and the place was popping. You know, Alabama's got a bit of a reputation for not caring about basketball until they're good. Well, on that night, they became good, and people started caring again. So I saw how cool that place can be when people are really invested in the program. I think it was the same thing at Auburn Arena, too. I'd love to call a game at one of those two spots. Certainly hope you get that chance, Drew. And before we let you go, you mentioned that, you know, some advice, you know, for the young broadcasters that are watching this. And obviously we've got a huge college audience, high school audience that's watching this. Uh, just some final words of wisdom. We'll treat this like you're coming back to Newhouse for your commencement speech. Uh, just how do you want to inspire the next generation of broadcasters that wants to be, you know, a Nance Award winner, work at ESPN at a young age? So I would say three bullet points. One of them we already talked about, consider the listener. And, you know, we've, we've gotten into that. That's, you know, if you've, if you've ever talked to me for more than an hour in no matter what the setting is, you've probably heard me say that. So consider the listeners, number one, don't have to get into it anymore. Number two, never say no. That was, I think my biggest thing at Syracuse was never saying no to an opportunity. We called, I think, 14 sports, did some rowing, did some field hockey, did some volleyball, did some women's lacrosse, loved all of it. It was all fun. And it's also necessary at a place like SU, which is as competitive as the real world is. So just never say no to an opportunity. If something comes up, you never know who's going to be watching or listening, and you never know what that could lead to. You might fall in love with a sport that you've never even watched before when you're calling it. Um, and obviously, if you, you get the assignment, you'll, you'll watch it a little bit. But you know what I mean? It's like I never expected to do rowing when I was thinking I wanted to be a broadcaster, and, and I loved it. So never say no to an opportunity. And that also is good for your reputation in the business. People will start to think, okay, this guy's going to be reliable no matter what we put him on. And he just, he loves the craft and, and he'll do basically whatever. And that can get your foot in the door for some bigger events. So never say no is the second thing. And then the third thing would be sweat the small stuff. So a big cliche is don't sweat the small stuff. And I think that can be good advice when it comes to driving yourself crazy. You know, Kyle, we were talking about earlier, like watching a broadcast back and you know, I'll freak out over the littlest thing I did. Like, what were you thinking, you moron? So in that sense, that's not really productive. If it's, if it's not something that's going to give you a tangible piece that you can work on in your next game, that's not really productive. But attention to detail is so crucial in what we do. I would say sweat the small stuff. So good example is double checking graphics before we went on the air at CBS 42 looking for that extra stat because anyone can get up there and say like Alabama's really good this year guys but showing as opposed to telling you know giving the listener leading them to that conclusion without actually telling it to them that Alabama's really good something like that finding the extra stat to do that finding the extra anecdote to do that Sweating the small stuff is crucial. Um, and in a competitive business, that can be kind of what sets you apart. So consider the listener, never say no, and sweat the small stuff unless you're driving yourself insane. At that point, relax. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Certainly a good note to end on, Drew. It's been a blast to catch up with you like this. You and I uh, became buddies when you were working here in Alabama and just really thrilled for the success that you're having. And we're definitely going to miss seeing you on a daily basis here, but wish you all the best. And just thank you so much for coming on Broadcaster Hour. We really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Sorry my audio sucks. My Blue Yeti is in Hartford right now. I just I have the AirPods, so maybe next time I'll have a real microphone. But thank you. This was awesome. Thanks for coming on, Drew. And William Patterson, they're coming for the throne in college radio. So <laughs> we're joining that Anchorman fight, so so be ready. All right. I am. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Drew Carter. Thanks to all of you for watching Broadcaster Hour. And now we'll slowly fade to black.